So I'm kicking off uh, this series, which I'll explain about in a moment. But once, when I was 17, I was incredibly proud to have my first Saturday job. And my, my job was to work at Argos. And I worked in the warehouse. And the one in Keithley, that's where I lived, people would make orders downstairs. And then a little ticket machine upstairs would pop this ticket through. And one Sunday morning, uh, one Saturday morning, sorry, this, this ticket came through. And you run around like a headless chicken trying to get this order and get it back onto the conveyor belt. And it goes down this really steep conveyor belt. And then the customer gets what they've ordered. I ran off, got this package, and it was a crockery set. It was quite a big crockery set. So I made my way more slowly to the conveyor belt, boom, dropped it onto the conveyor belt, and just put it sideways on instead of angling it. So it just all the way down the conveyor belt to where the manager was stood at the bottom looking up. And I was like, should I get another one? And he's like, you think? So uh, I then off, went off and got a new one. Even though it said fragile on it, and I don't know if you've ever been on an airplane and you see these baggage handlers and there's a box that says fragile and you just see them grab it and lob it in like this into the cargo and you're like, what? <laughs> oh, that's not my stuff that's in there. Um, but there's, we all handle fragility and frail things in a different type of way. And there's, there's this theory of chaos that even just a butterfly's wing, so maybe a butterfly leaving a bush down on um, Charmwood water, it flaps its wing over time with the increase of different elements as well, could cause a hurricane maybe in Oklahoma. And we, we do live in fragile times in a society that's a little bit crazy. We've seen it recently with toilet rolls panic buying for toilet rolls or fuel. We live on a knife edge. Our society is very, very knife edge and it doesn't take much to cause chaos. I just want you to park some of those thoughts. So we're going to be looking at Mark's gospel over the next period of time. And one of the things I love about Mark is it's one of the first Gospels written that the other ones then pad out. He leapfrogs the first 30 years of Jesus' life to get straight to the point. This is a young guy writing a Gospel who wants to get to the point, wants to explain who Jesus is, the real nitty-gritty of this, of this person that he's been captivated by and that he wants to try and get the message out there of who Jesus is. It's a really nitty-gritty type of gospel. There's no airs or graces in his writing. He just gets to it, gets to the point, and he tells us, this is Jesus, this is what he's like. Very early on, one of the things that Mark does is says, Jesus, call the disciples to be with him so that he could then send them out. He states the, the, the purpose really early on of what Jesus was trying to achieve as well in, in, in drawing disciples to himself and calling these 12 young people towards himself so that they could be with him. They could come and be intimate with him. They could travel with him. They could learn to be like him so that he could then, then send them out. It's thought to be, like I said, I think the, the first of the Gospels that were written 
that then Matthew and John and Luke pick up on some of the key themes and then flesh it out a little bit more, which is great because then we get these different views and angles, uh, not just this, this young guy that seems to be writing stuff down as quickly as possible. And then this happened and then it's like one of those old Batman movies that's kapow, thwack, thud. That's what the Mark's, what Mark's gospel is a bit like. He's just like, and then, and then suddenly, and he uses all these different words and you're like, what, slow down. Mark, take a chill pill, just slow it down. Just take a breath. So you get carried away. I don't know if you've, I mean, just please read it over the next few weeks. Read Mark and get, you almost get carried away by this, this, this current of Mark's passion. Uh, and then one activity after another, after another, another. Three years in a few chapters like this. And you're like, wow. These guys did a lot. They saw a lot. They experienced a lot in three and a half years or whatever. And Mark just tries to get it all down. But three of the key things that Mark pulls out, and this is what we're going to pull out and expand on over the next few weeks, is Jesus as son. Jesus as saviour. And Jesus as servant. And those are three key elements that we see again and again and again through the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. So can we just uh, put some slides up, please? So Jesus as son, um, you can write some of these um, verses down. Obviously all of them in Mark. So the first one, son. One of the things about being son, the son of God, but it talks about being the son of man as well. We see in, in Mark, he is God. It starts out right in the beginning uh, of Mark 1, verse 1. It says, this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, son of God. It doesn't, it doesn't waste any time to get straight in there and tell us, this is who Jesus is. He is the son. He's the son of God. And again, th those are just a few verses that pull out Jesus as being the son of God. It's about his identity and it's about his inheritance. And he brings us, this, us into these things as well. This is now our identity. This is our inheritance. All that is true of him is true of us as well. Sons of God. We've been given a status, an identity and an inheritance. So there's the divinity of God that's revealed through his sonship. And then the son of man reveals to us his humanity. This is not a God that's far off. This is not a God that sits on a cloud somewhere on a throne, uh, on a throne and in a cloud somewhere up there. This is a God with dirt under his fingernails, with wood chips on his clothing after a hard day's work in a carpenter's shop, bread crumbs in his beard. A God who's close, a God who's real, a God who's relevant. Then we see that he's the, the saviour, he's the messiah, the anointed one, the one that rescues, that's got all the power and authority and ability to take hold of a lost people in a fragile society and rescue them out and rescue us out of the mess and the mire and the stuff that we can find ourselves in. And again and again and again, whether it's sickness or disease or just twisted identity, he comes as saviour to set us free. 
and servant, the way that he did that, to lay his life down. This suffering servant that Mark points to, that Jesus didn't just come as some royal king, he didn't sit in a palace, but he came humbly. Mark doesn't even give time to that part of his early life of how he incarnated, jumps, like I said, straight in 30 years in to Jesus' life, the real deal type stuff. He just wants to get on with it. This is him. The suffering servant, he had to lay his life down. He had to, everyone's talking about how amazing he is but it, and how amazing the temple was, but in three days, I'll die and I'll rise again. He had to suffer to express his fullness of sonship and the ability to save through this suffering king. This servant who came to lay his life down, to bring people into freedom and liberty. One of the things I want us to, to look at, if we can just put up um, Mark 1 verses 1 to 8, please. It's John the Baptist, Jesus' big cousin, um, who, can somebody want to read, does somebody want to read this out nice and loud for us, please? Don't all rush at once. Thank you, Ian. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, just as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Behold, I am sending my messenger before you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. And his diet was locusts and wild honey. That's fine, actually. Thank you. I put more on the note. <laughs> Brilliant. So John came into a wilderness. He came into this crazy type of um, landscape where there was rule, where, where the, the Israelites weren't free people, where they're occupied by the Romans, by religion that had gone crazy and people were oppressed but he came as one preparing the way and we sang that even this morning that we're now ones that prepare the way he came to a society that was equally as fragile as ours is i don't think there were fuel shortages or panic buying for toilet roll then um but there were issues at their time that was equally as fragile as what ours is. Everything's fine. It's like when you're using your laptop or some sort of IT and then it, everything's fine until it goes wrong. And then you're like, my whole world, everything is bad. But he came as one preparing the way. And where are those now who are called to prepare the way for Jesus, uh, for the king to return, for the king to be known? in all places by all people a solution was needed and that was a savior was a servant of humanity 
So God sent his son. And through us, he's continuing to send his son into the world. We are the sent ones into fragile and into coming out of the wilderness with a, with a message to share that can bring freedom, that can bring liberty, that can bring life in its fullness. John came with a type of a baptism that was just saying, change your mind from this stuff and do this. So it was, there was a change going on internally, but then demonstrated through this external thing. He was saying, but there's somebody coming who is so much greater than I am. And there's going to be this incredible transformation that takes place, holistic change in your life. And he's going to baptize you with his, with his Holy Spirit. The presence of God itself is going to come and live inside of you. It's not just this, this little internal shift that's then demonstrated externally, but something so significant is going to happen in your life, sealed with the very presence of God himself. He takes his son, a savior, and a, save, and a servant to accomplish those things. That's Jesus. That's the one that Mark was so desperate to communicate to us. Leapfrogging those 30 years, like I said, to get to the point. This is who's in town now. John was a prophet. He had a message to share. He opened his mouth and spoke out what was needed into his time. We are a prophetic people. We have something to say to in, in, and speak into with a confidence into our society. And I know for many people, confidence has been shaken over the last number of years. And sometimes we can be very aware of, of our failings uh, and we can let ourselves down at times. We can let other people down at times. And it can erode confidence. I want to call us back into a Christ confidence that we are a prophetic people called to be different. Called to go into our society with a message that can bring transformation, that can bring life changes into people. God, I just ask right now for fresh confidence of your spirit. Nothing that we drum up ourselves, nothing that we stand in a mirror and have some sort of mantra that makes us feel stronger or better about ourselves, but something that comes only from you, Spirit of God, that gives us a confidence and an ability and a wisdom to know how to say th stuff, when to say stuff, in a way that brings true freedom and liberty. Spirit of God, do that through us, will you please? Thank you, God. One of the biggest type of pathways, one of the things that John was, was prophesying into was bringing the, the, the high things down, smoothing the path, making it straight for the king to return, for the king to come, and to bring up the low places. One of the, the high things that we've got to bring down is the sovereignty of self. Self has gone crazy in our society. It is exalted and glorified all of the time, around us all the time. And by us all in this room as well. Yeah. <laughs> if we can't admit to that, we're fooling ourselves. Marketers, all of society is screaming out to feed because it's, it's one of the end time battles of the will. One of the greatest battles of wills that was ever expressed in our house was Anya growing up 
as a young girl deciding which pair of tights she was going to wear <laughs> and trying to get her so, so there was this battle of wills between Trenna and Anya about which which pair of tights or which hair clip or which jacket she was going to wear and it was like World War Three every morning before school But there's something more significant taking place, a battle for humanity, for the heart, the soul, the mind of humanity. And it's, it's self, which is completely opposed to Jesus. Because that's what originated before the beginning of time, was self in the, in the form of Lucifer, wanting to be exalted, wanting to get what God had, but couldn't have get it so made trying to push in and then that's what exactly what happened in the garden do this yourself did God really say so the whispers started right at the beginning of time and ever since there's a battle of the will not over tights not over hair clips but the very soul of those formed and created in the image of God to be one with God but is constantly defining itself from self it will never work our definition of identity can only ever come from the heart the life the nature of God it was definitely needed at that time he's so needed now where a son can come on the scene saviors sent by the living one who are servants of all of creation the way that jesus modeled this is demonstrated in this one very simple scripture in mark and it's this it's Matthew, it's mark it's matthew uh, it's mark eight Verse 34, is that, did I put that up as a slide? I can't remember. Hello everyone. Okay, did I put that up? I did, cool. When you're ready. I'm just joking. Ah, awesome. Jesus and Peter have just had this type of exchange um, where Jesus, if you're Peter, he gets a bad rap at times, but he does open his mouth and just like get himself into trouble, doesn't he? I'm a little bit like Peter at times. Um, where Jesus then says, get behind me, Satan. Like, oh, that's going to that's gonna smart, isn't it, a little bit? Um, <laughs> so then, Jesus then goes on and says this, and he, summoned, or, and he summoned the crowd together and his disciples, and he said to them, if anyone wants to come after me, he must first deny himself, take up his cross and follow me, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. The way of the king, this son, this saviour, this servant, is dying to ourself. He's laying our lives down. He's constantly not feeding self, 
It's a greedy thing, the self. Uh, and we can live with the self in Ephesians. He talks about put your old self to death. It's possible somehow for our new self and our old self to be living together. But one of them needs to die. The two can't exist properly and healthily to thrive in life. So our job in responding to this incredible gospel, fullness of life, is to keep putting to death on a daily basis, denying ourselves, denying this little voice that's constantly wanting to be fed, that is constantly selfish, is drawing to itself again and again and again, defining itself and morphing and shaping all of the time to stay alive because it knows it's on this losing battle and originates not from the heart and the mind of God, but from one who wants a position through self-effort and he's constantly then in the, in the garden straight away did God really say you could actually do it yourself forget what he's saying just take a hold of it and we all do it in lots of different ways because of the different desires and ambitions and the stuff that we want to hold on to even the bitterness that can grow and sometimes we can feed it we can stroke it like a little pet that we own and we stick with it I'm not letting go of this one it's too much. And it actually starts to form some of our identity, but it's not a Christ identity. It's not one that's originated for eternity. It's a false identity. It's a false self. And it's idolatry. I'm not going to go into it lots and lots and lots, um, but the, the, there's a guy called John Tyson. Uh, from a church called the Church of the City um, in New York. He's an Australian dude, but he, he's doing a series at the moment called Self-Denial. So I was, I was writing all of this stuff, and then I came across it, listened to it, and I was like, he says it way better than I do. So this week, if, you, if you're looking for a podcast to listen to, then the last couple of weeks that he's done on, this, on some self-denial stuff, it's just brilliant. So do yourself a favor so you don't need to listen to me, and it cuts what I'm going to say right down. Go and listen to him, he says it far more eloquently and far better than I would. So John Tyson, maybe we could send out some sort of link um, this week uh, for that. But the last two weeks he's looked at self-denial. Um, so it's just perfect timing. Thank you, John. I wonder if we could have uh, five minutes in a breakout to look at what, what does self look like, not necessarily in yourself, but if you want to be completely vulnerable with the people around you, then fine, go for it. But what does self look like in our society today? Go. <laughs> Five minutes. Cool. Right, everybody, do you want to just come back, please, um, or slightly straighten your chairs into... A little bit of order. So I'm going to actually going to bring this into land now. Um, hopefully, beyond toilet roll and fuel, you've you've seen some expressions and been able to pinpoint what self might look like, either in society or in in us individually as well. Um, God has called us in sharing 
and creating us into a new life, the ability for life, eternal life, in all of its fullness to flow out from our life to other people. And in order to really live, we must die. This is a topsy-turvy kingdom that we serve. And Jesus didn't ask anything from us that he wasn't willing to do himself. And that's what I love about Jesus. He didn't just come with some nice teachings. He didn't just lead some Bible school or leave us a whole bunch of books or whatever. But he led the way. He was the way. He is the truth and he is the life. And leads us to life so that we can then lead other people into life. But it comes through death. It comes through self-dying. It comes through anything that doesn't originate from the, the life and the nature and the image of God that he's created us in to be put to death. The focus of the gospel is other people. The eternal focus within the Godhead is the other. Constantly looking to the other, to the other. There's nothing selfish in God at all, ever. And the ultimate expression of selflessness was an obedient son. Not punished by his father, but willingly saying, I'm going to step in. I'm going to go into all of this mess, into this fragile society. With all these beautiful people made in our image, but so lost. I've got no understanding that they're like us. I'm going to lay my life down so that they can come back to be what I created them to be. In all the fullness and splendor of what we're like and have been like for eternity and they can share in this wonderful life with us but I'm going to lay my life down and even before the cross he laid his life down before the beginning of time and expressed again and again in the way that he served humanity as his servant as his saviour as his son and we've got to be those people that come close with a compassion and a love and a mercy to those that are so lost, even though they are made in the image of God. And Ernie Hammond, an incredible uh, man of God that used to come here, probably about this big, um, but incredible prayer warrior. He looked like Yoda, uh, but not quite as green. Um, and, but he said some people are better by birth than they are by grace. And we've probably all met people like that. Sometimes there are people that were in a church family with you think, I don't actually like you very much. <laughs> and you, you're a bit of a hypocrite or you're not quite as perfected as, as my next door neighbor who's far nicer than you are. And sometimes we can um, define people as Christian or not Christian and I'm not, I'm not trying to blur the edges on that. But sometimes what I'm trying to pull out by that is we've been made new. We've got to live the new life and be ruthless. And that's why accountability is so important with each other. So that we can, we can knock, off the, the, knock off the rough edges in each other and allow the spirit to keep perfecting the life of Jesus inside of us. So that we're more able to offer life in its fullness to other people. Like Jesus, we've got to get hands dirty. We've got to get alongside people 
Jesus constantly said, I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. That in our daily lives with the people we rub shoulders with, let's get our, our hands dirty, as it were, with, with getting close to these people so that they too can be captivated by the love of God expressed through our life. The gospel isn't words on a tract about heaven and hell, but it's about people captivated by Jesus, filled with his life, getting close enough to love the unlovely. He didn't come as a doctor for the well. He came as somebody, an eternal healer, to bring life to the sick. We're surrounded by sick people on a daily basis. Spiritual, emotional, and physical sickness that needs life, needs healing, needs a savior, and he looks like you. Needs a servant who looks just like you. A son of God who looks just like you and me. Greta talked about this week, I think it was about blah, 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 politicians making, let's not be blah, 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 Christians. Full of amazing words, but so little action. Let's not be the blah, blah, blahs. Let's be those that can get close without fear of getting dirty. With the most perverted people in society, the sickest people in society, I love them just like Jesus did. Whoever the modern lepers are, can we hang out with those people? Can we love those people? Can we shower life in its fullness to these people? Touching people that, G that people in their time, Jesus should not have been touching or getting close to those people, but he did and he hung out with them. And because of it, it was called a glutton or a liar or a thief, tarred with the same brush. Let's not be fearful of being tarred with that brush. Let's be who we've been called to be, the people of God with a fresh identity and image in fullness of life to go and serve, to be the sons, the servants, the saviors into a fragile society. Let's be the ones preparing the way for Jesus. Lord, I thank you that you're not just an image on a wall some sculptured body on a cross. But Lord, that you're alive today. Lord, we want to be those prophetic people that say, this is the way that demonstrate what it's like to be your sons, to be the servants and to be saviors. Lord, I ask that you would use us powerfully, save us from being blah, blah, blah Christians and being people that can can get our hands dirty with the, the real hurting and unloved people in society. Lord, I pray that this week you'll give us opportunity to display your love and your kindness and your powerful, powerful, supernatural, life-transforming, healing, setting free power and life that comes only from you through us. Thank you, Jesus. You're so good. Amen.